It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. Yeah! Learning to Listen, L2L Podcast, right on, right on. Charlie's here, Naomi's here, I'm Quinn. Uh, We got a guest in the house today, uh, Brent Andrew, a.k.a. Dubious. Uh, we're going to be talking to him all about Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers. Uh, but before we do that, remember, patreon.com slash learning to listen. That's the best way to help us out. You can uh, support. Uh, you get all the bonus stuff. We put episodes up early, unedited. So you can hear us talking about dinosaurs' buttholes, if that's the kind of thing you're into. I highly recommend it. You know, and uh, it's fairly inexpensive, but... You do what you want to do with your money, you know? Don't let me tell you what to do. Hey, man. You know? Uh, all right, man. So, today, <laughs> we are talking to Dubious, uh, a.k.a. Brent Andrews. Uh, how's it going, man? Hey, it's it's going good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Glad yeah. to be here to talk to you. Yeah, no sweat, man. Uh, you're a man of a few hats. I don't know if it's many, but it's at least a few, right? Certainly uh, a couple, yeah. Yeah, like... Uh, it, uh, your MC, uh, I believe you, uh, you're a radio DJ. Uh, I know you do some social work. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you threw me a few links for a few things and, and, uh, and I checked it all out. Um, you got an album that's kind of, it's like in a half baked state right now. It's at a point where you're like, okay, the world can hear this, but this isn't ready for a commercial release yet. So it's sitting up on SoundCloud. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Man. Um, yeah. That album I recorded uh, in November and um, I bought 10 beats and just wanted to do uh, kind of lock in and make as much art as I could in a short period of time. So I uh, decided to just try to do a song a day and knocked one out every day for 10 days. And um, so the mix that's online right now, like the half baked mix you're talking about, that's just my mix that I, I put everything into one. Uh, it's like a 40 minute long uh, album length track and put that on SoundCloud. But, uh, yeah, it's currently being mixed. Actually, I'm like texting back and forth tonight with, uh, the guy who's mixing it. So it's, you know, seven out of 10 tracks mixed right now. So it'll, it'll be out soon. Um, oh, right on, man. Know, well, okay. Spotify people people, people need to pay attention. It's called jaded, right? Uh, no, sorry. The album is uh, actually going to be called 10 from 11. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Jaded is the, one of the tracks on there. Um, oh, for some reason I got mixed up then. Cause yeah, I saw, uh, but, I might have linked it to you or something, just that track. I don't know. But um, yeah, the album is going to be called uh, 10 from 11 and uh, entirely produced by DJ Moves, who's a, a Halifax-based DJ who, um, you know, did a lot of uh, work with, uh, I think he put out like four albums last year that were completely produced by him with different MCs on them from across Canada. So um, yeah, he, he, he put out a ton of good stuff and kind of got my attention. Uh like you said, I, I do a radio show, so uh, I've been digging into the Canadian hip-hop scene more and more, and uh, just saw his name keep popping up and keep popping up, and then saw he was selling beats and thought, okay, well, let's, uh, let's jump on that train. So, yeah, Where's your, about that album. Where's your radio show found? Uh, so, it's Monday nights at 9 o'clock, Thursday nights at 11, uh, Mountain Time on ckxu.com. Uh or it archives on uh, mixcloud.com slash dubious. So nice. dubious is D-O-O-B-Y-I-S. 
yeah, and that's where people can follow you on Twitter too. <laughs> at uh, yeah, yeah, at dubious. Pretty much, if you punch in dubious, uh, spelled that way into you know Google or whatever, I'm I'm the only one spelling it like that. So I lucked out. Don't nice. have to replace vowels with X's or whatever to to be Googleable. Right on. Um, yeah. So obviously, you managed to stay productive and busy while everything else is kind of shut down. We're all locked down here. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm. As much as uh, it's weird being in like lockdown with COVID and stuff, I've also just been kind of uh, happy to be able to spend some time and uh, put as much thought and effort into kind of starting the radio show and uh, getting my own music to kind of the level it should be at and stuff like that. So uh, I've been pretty happy kind of isolating and working on, on art. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, you know, it's I'm having some mixed feelings about it because the other day I was I was in the studio too, and I was talking to the guys, the engineer and uh, this musician I had in there, and I was telling him I was like, man, I don't know, but it's part of me that's gonna miss this when it's over, you know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a little bit. I mean, as much as there's definitely people I miss seeing, and uh, as nice as it is to be able to go out and like support other artists at shows and stuff like that. I mean, the internet is really beautiful. Like it lets us all link up. And um, one thing that I spent some time doing here, like uh, while I've been at home lockdown was putting together a a schedule of all the Canadian hip hop shows like mine that uh, air on campus or community based stations. Uh, So basically I I went through all these like, you know, uh, campus based radio stations, websites and looked through their schedules, found all the hip hop shows, and put them into a mountain time uh, schedule so that basically any night of the week now you can pretty much flip back and forth from live streaming hip hop shows uh, on any of these stations. Um, Or there's like an app, a tune in app that lets people do it on their phone too. But um, yeah, you know, because I just kind of thought like there's so much music out there that is being made. And I feel like a lot of Canadian artists have a tough time getting anybody to listen to it. You know, yeah, so. especially hip hop, right? Like how serious do people take Canadian hip hop? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is, is really a shame because uh, like even myself and I've, I've been like a huge hip hop head my whole life. Um, I, I knew like some Canadian artists my whole life. But then when I got offered the show on CKXU, uh, you know, you have to play a certain percentage. It's like 33 percent Canadian stuff. And when I when I started it, I thought like, OK, well, that might be a little bit difficult to do, really, but it's it's really ended up being easy. Uh, like, there's so much good Canadian hip hop that comes out. Um, Halifax feel- has a great scene in Vancouver and Montreal and Toronto. It's yeah, all across the board. Uh, Edmonton, Calgary, too, really. Yeah. I feel like the Canadian hip hop scene and rap music in general in Canada is more socially commentary than it is in the U.S. Like, I don't know. I feel like. This- <sighs> probably two totally different countries and two different perspectives but i do kind of feel that way from what i yeah uh i think i think that that's a pretty safe thing to say but i mean again like there's so much stuff in american hip-hop that just stays underground too right uh so like certainly the american stuff that we here and that blows up like you know the baby and two chains and like yeah that's i'm just thinking radio right? i'm thinking like top 40 ish yeah. type stuff right? i also think that in canadian especially in public radio cbc stuff like that there's a bit more of a mandate to push the stuff that's the like overly positive you know your canons and shit like that right? <laughs> like those are the guys sure. who are thinking about like when i get older <laughs> like yeah 
That's totally. the stuff well, that they're like, this is going to go over with our audience, but they're also... Like swollen members back in the day, man. They had such like yeah. socially conscious stuff going on. Well, they were well, rapping about like goblins and dungeons. And that's <laughs> like, true. It was a big D&D game. Them back in the it's day, a big yeah. D&D, yeah. yeah. Um, well, but... speaking of socially conscious and building the community, uh, you were telling me that you're part of this, uh, what is it called? Arches, uh, Mike Club at Arches. Uh, okay, so yeah. Um, yeah, so if you want to get into that and tell everybody what that's all about. Okay, so I'll tell you a little story. I lived in Edmonton uh, until two and a half years ago. I moved down here uh, midway through 2018 and um, moved down here to take a job at the, the supervised consumption site, uh, which was run by an organization called Arches, which was a non-for-profit organization. Um, and that was all going really well. I mean, like with harm reduction, the emphasis is on like building relationships with uh, people who are coming in to uh, access the, the facilities, which, you know, among the services that Arch has offered was a safe injection site, uh, safer injection, injection site. Uh, really, I'm not supposed to call it safe, but supervised uh, anyways, injection mm. site, but people call them safe injection sites all the time. Um, but so I, I worked there for uh, about eight months and uh, was kind of realizing that the best way that I could find to start building relationships with people uh, was often through hip hop, through my past in uh, emceeing and, and, and rapping and uh, just through the experiences that I've had in that community, I guess. Uh, it made me a little bit more relatable than, um, you know, somebody who might not have experienced any of the types of things that people on the street are dealing with, uh, which, you know, I, I can't say I've had it nearly that hard knock or anything like that, but I've definitely kind of been around some uh, situations like that throughout my life or whatever. And um, I think just that relatability through the culture of hip hop uh, helped to, to build some connections. And then once people were able to, uh, start connecting with me like that uh, management kind of saw it and realized maybe this should be like a full-time program because another thing that they did at Arches was uh, like daytime programming. Um, so like a lot of communities have drop-in centers um, where people can go through the day, um, but Lethbridge doesn't really have a drop-in center. Uh, there's the actual homeless shelter and um, it kind of shuts down through the day. And so people are out on the streets and, you know, uh, trying to find a place to be. And especially in the winter, it's uh, it's nice for people to have a place to gather where they're not going to be chased out of or where, you know, the cops aren't going to come arrest them for being there. Um, so daily activities was something that we tried to offer. And um, they thought, how cool would it be to have like a recording studio there? So it was actually, I, I talked to them and said like, hey, I've got gear at home. Could I bring it in and volunteer to try to record with some of these guys who have been freestyling with me? Uh, and at first I did it just kind of on my own time uh, for a few hours once a week. And it was really popular for the first two months I was doing that. And then they said, okay, well, we should bump you up to doing this full time. Um, and so change of title, uh, I became the mic club coordinator at, at Arches and was, was there like operating a computer and running uh, Ableton all day, recording music with people. And then uh, we posted it. Um, the songs that people wanted posted, obviously, uh, it was up to them whether we posted them or not. But uh, I think there were about 60 tracks that we did uh, put online um, through about the 
year and a quarter that it ran. Um, and then things kind of got shut down because of COVID. Um, and yeah, so with, with COVID shutting everything down and, you know, singing was on the list of things we're not allowed to do anymore inside. Uh, I ended up uh, being laid off. And then a month after that, they shut Arches down completely over what they said was missing money, but which now like a year later has come out was not actually missing and they're just going to leave Arches shut down. So, uh, that's yeah. Boo, boo for the UCP. And in my opinion, it's, uh, like, I mean, there have been, uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say like people are on the streets dying right now because the UCP decided they don't want to fund harm reduction. There's, uh, you know, like if somebody was stealing $1.7 million, sure, that was a problem. But um, now that it's come out that that money is accounted for, I don't know why that place is still shut down. So uh, that was my job. And <laughs> now it's not so much, but uh, I'm definitely looking for new opportunities to do that. And, um, you know, I've always owned, like I said, I started that program with my own home recording stuff, bringing it into site and eventually the site bought its stuff. But, uh, since I still have my own home recording stuff, uh, I have had the opportunity to work with a few of the guys who I met through that program, um, and just been able to record some more music with them. Uh, it's been really cool to see how it has inspired some of the people who, who I worked with and met, uh, on site and, um, you know, some of them have went off to treatment and are, are currently like have, have got through several months of detox and are currently in treatment. Uh, you know, I'm talking about when he, when they come back, they want to work more and come record more. So um, that's exactly what that program was supposed to be doing was just to, to give people that spark of inspiration and uh, maybe a little bit of hope or uh, just, you know, an, an outlet that that was also a big thing was uh, it's, it's maybe not, I, I think that like, especially maybe in street culture um, where, you know, guys are living real lives and like being tough is a real thing. Cause if you're not, you're going to get your stuff stolen from you or whatever. Right. So I think maybe that kind of culture, it's a little bit tougher to go talk to like a clinical therapist than really, delve into your emotions that way at a supervised consumption site, which mm -hmm. still, you know, they obviously did have certified counselors and certified therapists, which I'm not. Uh, I, I was just there as peer support, basically. And then it happened that, you know, making hip hop was a, a great way to get people to open up and, and, you know, sit and write poetry for an hour and then record it and leave proud of themselves for expressing emotions rather than leave ashamed for expressing emotions, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, the catharsis that comes with uh, being able to express yourself artistically. I get it. You know, some people are going to be, I'm some one of those people, like, no, I'm not on the street or anything like yeah. that, but I resist that sort of thing. If somebody's like, you tried therapy? I'll be like, uh. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't feel comfortable. It has a but certain stigma, I which can... I think is dissolving, you know, uh, year by year, but uh, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, I can pick up a guitar and a pen and a piece of paper and you know, start getting my thoughts down. And sometimes even just the process of doing that alone makes me go like process that's that those feelings, those emotions, yeah. half the time I abandon it halfway through where I'm like, Oh, you know what? Now that I've really actually sat with those feelings, I'm like, 
I don't really have anything to say here. I was just in, in a moment. Exactly. You know, but somebody who's like in, you know, you know, in a really tough situation, has mm-hmm. some real problems in life or whatever, I can see the benefit. Also, just you show somebody they have value. Yeah. Definitely. You know? Yeah. And that's got to do a, a million dollars worth of good for somebody who probably has never felt valuable. Okay. And all of a sudden you're like, no, man, like, look, it's it's like this. If you just express yourself, we can we can do whatever we need to do with this. And, like, you know, once we get in, like, to editing and software and, like, all of a sudden you play something back for them and they're like, that's me? Yeah, right, exactly. And, I mean, you guys know how, how powerful it is to have uh, – shared experiences making music with people right like mm-hmm. so so like you say like uh it really showed you know that somebody cares that like uh, i was willing to sit there and help make songs and if you want me to rap sure i'm down to rap on your song <laughs> you know so uh to actually collaborate with guys i think that uh built some bonds that were were pretty strong really and yeah like i said i'm i'm glad to see uh some of those bonds that i made have have maybe uh helped push guys towards uh doing a little bit better or whatever you know right on very cool um like you said the music is up you got about you said 60 tracks or so i managed to listen through about a half dozen or more cool. uh they're all up on soundcloud right soundcloud.com yeah. slash uh, arches mic club yeah you got it word yeah, yeah. Arches mic club yeah so yeah if anybody's listening and they're interested in that and uh you know i I would say it's a program that would probably be worthwhile so hopefully you can get it going again in the future and uh yeah, man. Yeah, uh, I got a few ideas. Yeah, few, cool. a few ideas for how we might do it. But right now, yeah. COVID's kind of cramping everything. So. Yeah, yeah, cramping everybody's style. I get it. But also, you know, like you're saying, uh, sometimes we've got this, we've got this rural conservative, you know, uh, kind of. <laughs> thing we're up against here where people are a little short-sighted they don't always understand the the lives of of people in uh certain you know sex of society certain class groups you know they don't understand what life in even a city like lethbridge which you know it's not the biggest city but you know it's a city and it comes with all the things cities come with right uh definitely that's one of the things it's uh it's kind of a small city growing into a big city or at this point it's got about one hundred and twenty thousand people here and um definitely a real small town mentality so uh kind of a lot of that uh not in my backyard nimbyism type deal or whatever and um yeah yeah, and you know i don't even think it's you know it turns into politics it really it doesn't even have to be politics man it's just you don't have to be in denial about the way people live their lives or how they get there you know it's like i i i think like something like this to me is just a pragmatic solution yeah. Um, I mean, and it's, it's a life-saving solution. The science shows that it's life-saving. Um, you know, like there's, there's plenty of studies that have been done worldwide, uh, forcing people to go into treatment. They don't have the same type of, uh, numbers of sobriety further down the line as people who are, uh, going into treatment on their own, uh, choice, you know, um, they're they're more likely to relapse if they've been forced into it through jail or whatever like that, uh, mm-hmm. through punitive measures. So, um, mm. you know, there's there's all sorts of stats. I could talk about it for a while, but <laughs> it's all easy to Google. I yeah. think with any addiction, you don't really quit until like, you're mentally ready to quit, no matter yeah. what. So that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that. Um, but we're here to talk about the woo. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, man. So 
Let's get into it. Uh, speaking of, you know, inspiration and uh, community building and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I hit you with the question. And I know it's a profound, hard to answer question, but that's why I asked it. And the album you came back to me with was Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, 1993. Uh, yeah, uh, Staten Island, New York uh, group, Wu-Tang Clan's debut album absolute classic yeah yeah and you know <laughs> uh I'm, I'm glad you were a little hesitant at first because you were like uh, i don't know man that's it's kind of an obvious one and i'm like no that's what we're you know you don't get cool points for picking yeah. something too obscure or whatever it's like if this is the legit one this is the legit one and uh yeah so i guess uh the big profound question like i said is why this album uh, so, okay. So thinking about it, like you said, huge question. Uh, there's been, obviously people don't just come to music cause of one album, but, um, I, I think, so before I ever found, uh, that album, the 36 chambers, I mean, I had heard the, like the classic kind of West coast rap that gets all 13 year old white boys into rap, Dr. Dre, Snoop, Eminem, like that's exactly where I was in 1992, 93. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. There you go. Right. Um, yeah. so, but for me, I didn't actually find that album until, uh, 2002, I want to say 2001, maybe. Um, I mean, I, I, I was, uh, I was probably in high school and I can just, uh, it's, it's one of the albums that I can remember going on like, you know, LimeWire or like WinMX or whatever those programs were and destroying my computer, downloading MP3s. Uh, and that was like one of the very first that I can remember clearly was Cream, the the, the single from 36 Chambers. Uh, and I Dash mean, like everything around me. Yeah, right. It's got that hook in it. And I think that that's the the real like hook that sunk into me first was that catchy cash rules, everything around me, everybody when they're young and juvenile just thinks like, yeah, let's get cash or whatever. Right. Uh, but if you actually listen to the bars that those guys are, are saying on there, which this, this is why I love Wu Tang and this is why I love this album. And this is why I chose this album is, is because there's more to it than just the surface level. Right. Uh, whereas, I, I feel like with, with a lot of the rap that I was listening to prior to that, um, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty surface level, uh, surface level cool points or whatever, but like Wu actually has knowledge built into those bars where, uh, the chorus is glorifying the life and maybe one or two of their verses are glorifying the life. Like, you know, Raekwon's talking about, uh shooting people at the herb gate or whatever in his verse like he definitely <laughs> went at it as, as gangster as he could but like then you've got other guys talking about like the realities of like going to jail and and losing people in the streets and mm. and uh the 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 deeper levels of it beyond just the glorification of the positives of that that life uh and even as far as like, you know, religious references and, and, and stuff like that, like these guys had real um, like, so from the nation of Islam came a thing called the nation of gods and earths, which influenced Wu-Tang a lot. And you, you hear them talk about it like, 
with with references to being like five percenters or uh yeah calling each other gods and yeah 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 i I know what you're talking about man and like that stuff until i more recently used to fly over my head i just thought it was like kind of their inside thing and and yeah yeah anyway sorry yeah Uh, no no that's it that's exactly it and that's that's the beauty of it is when you're just first listening to it it's like yeah cash rules everything around me cream get the money right and it the the god body stuff just flies over your head but when you actually come back and like i mean you know at this point i've bought 50 woo albums and analyzed lyrics forever right and read books by them and really really gotten deep into it and like some of the references that they're making man like uh you know arm arm leg leg arm head spells out a law which they're basically saying they are god like god body that's that's you right we're all god we can be god if you decide to create righteously in life and those those kind of messages were what i uh really really dug in the woo um they're amazing for a lot of different reasons though man like the, the other thing that i wanted to talk about was just how with some of the more polished like you know dre and snoop and the chronic 2001 or whatever like classic albums but uh they're they're just so shiny that they almost feel like like britney spears kind of like in sync like production levels of just like this is really polished and really tailored to be something that the masses are gonna love whereas Mm -hmm. woo i felt when i first heard that it was like oh this is the the unrefined version of that or the I mean, it's highly refined in their lyrical skill, but um, Riz's production was so stripped down, right? Uh, yeah. It's almost like punk rock. <laughs> yeah, I made that note myself when I'm listening to this. I was like, you know, I think now it's you. It's weird to look back like, well, it's almost 30 years since this thing got released, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to look back now and realize that because so much has come since that, you know, people have like kind of jumped on that production style you know a little dirtier a little a little more rough around the edges but at the time when in the dominant hip-hop coming out in the early 90s and like the early 90s was like just an explosion of hip-hop on the mainstream but what was cool about that some of that mainstream hip-hop was coming at the time was it it was edgy in its way you know like what you like what Dre and Snoop and those guys and like Death Row and everything were doing like in California and L.A. Yeah. sounded hard to us, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, and yeah, like the production and- was was smooth as butter, but like the the what those guys were were rapping about was was you know like gangster shit. Still hardcore, yeah. <laughs> yeah, still hardcore, and. And then I don't know, man. Like what I was saying, like that's the stuff I know. Like me and my friends, if that's if we were throwing on any any hip hop, it was mostly that kind of stuff. It was a lot of like Warren G and stuff, right? Yeah, you know. And uh, I think those funk grooves from West Coast music uh, they hold up, man. I still throw on the Chronic uh, Nandus all the time, and yeah. I never get sick of it. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's great. But I don't know if I would have been ready for Wu <laughs> Tang Clan at the time. Because I, I, I think I would have found the production pretty jarring. I think I needed punk rock in my life because that's where my musical tastes went. Yeah, and that's kind of when around the same time, I was probably the first the first time that I was really hearing Wu Tang was probably more around like some of my friends who were you know getting to college age, you know like you said downloading stuff off of LimeWire, you know like 
when I was going to like junior high parties and even high school, we weren't, you know, we, I don't know, Wu-Tang never came up. It was, it was like, oh, after that, it was like early 2000s, maybe, maybe, maybe 99, late, like 90s, whatever. Somebody would be like, you guys got to listen to this, you know? And by that time, I remember the thing that I was like, oh yeah, man, this is like the punk rock of hip hop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, man, like I grew up, uh, not even in Edmonton, right. I was in, in cameras for the first 18 years of my life. So 45 minutes out of Edmonton, 20,000 people, small town. Uh, so when you say like, you know, you weren't here in hip hop at house parties, like I wasn't here in hip hop at house parties. I was the weird dude that, that liked hip hop and everybody else was into whatever, <laughs> you know, they, they were listening to rock music. Like even my best friends were uh, big into like seventies jam bands or whatever. Right. Like that was, there, there was no hip hop crowd at all. I had, you know, one or two guys who, who tried to, to freestyle with me every now and again or whatever. But uh, you know, there, there was a lot of headphones and a lot of just analyzing lyrics on my own. And, and I think that that's one of Wu's big strengths for me was that they have nine different, like super lyricists. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to say at least like seven of those guys are like really above and beyond level lyricists, which to me has always blown my mind that that many guys who are that talented from, you know, and it's not like they all grew up in the same like block or whatever. Like they were from all different boroughs of, of New York, but Rizza brought everybody together and has kept that, you know, the woo alive to, to this day. Like those guys are still in a group. Yeah. I mean, as many of them are alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, minus ODB, but yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, you look at like tribe called quest. It's, it's two guys and they, they couldn't keep it together. Right? <laughs> yeah. I know. How, how do you make How do you even make this album happen? Pick nine guys. And like, obviously, yeah, they all bring their thing. Um, Man, and it, 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 it like I, I did nine people. Like I've played in bands for years. I can hardly get five, four people. Right? Yeah, <laughs> to to actually get guys to come and and uh, I mean I've I've been around a lot of bands too or whatever. And like to actually get guys to come to a weekly practice, it's mm-hmm. it's like oh, pulling dude, teeth, it's right? pulling teeth. Or even when you do have them like on board, it's even at that point it's it's what I call herding cats. <laughs> well, or it lasts for two years or whatever, right? Like sometimes you'll get commitment from guys and then whatever happens and the bands break up and that's kind of a natural cycle and whatever. Mm. But uh, it's really amazing to me that like nine guys from, from Wu-Tang with that level of uh, fame and money. And uh, I mean, yeah, just drama. Like how, how do you avoid drama for that long and, and stay together just for the Wu, you know? Uh, Yeah. I have no idea, man. And I think maybe part of it might be that he had such a vision that, this, this record okay first of all man <laughs> i didn't know i needed an excuse to go back and listen to this record again <laughs> but i'm glad i had one good, good. i i, I for like i knew it was good i forgot how good it is yeah like there isn't a sleeper on it man they're all it just slaps yep, front there's back. nothing you need to skip yeah first song bring the ruckus <laughs> <laughs> boom you're in um yeah but like but then you hear every song for the most part uh really like even if 
you know, like everybody gets, everybody kind of gets their showcase. Obviously, Method Man comes out as the big star of this album. Yeah, he's the only one with the solo album. Or, the, sorry, yeah, the, the solo, solo track. Uh, song, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But but there's enough from everybody else uh, that uh, I think Mastakilla only gets on one track. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. But that one track, uh, "The Mystery of Chess Boxing." Yeah. But that one track and his verse, it's like he knew he he was like I I've got one verse on this whole album. It's like the he, best he verse on the whole album. I've I've read about the creation of that album, and that's exactly what happened. Is uh, Masticilla was kind of like the apprentice to some of those other guys, and um, so yeah, he knew he had to bring the A game when when it was time to actually get in there and rhyme. But one thing I love about the Woo is that it's. It's um, it's really like the Riz's baby. It's it's the Riz's brainchild that he told these guys. The legend is he he met all these guys, uh, you know, as as they were before the woo, and uh, realized like, hey, if I could bring these guys together, we'd have something really special. And he told them all, if you give me five years of your life, I'll make us all famous. Uh, and yeah, and he did. Then they did that. Yeah, uh, but like <laughs> the first session was everybody bring fifty bucks and record "Protect Your Neck." So like, uh, yeah, it, it, pretty cool. That when you think of like how uh, you talk about community coming together, I mean, the Woo Win itself is a community. It's nine guys from all over the place <laughs> coming together. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was actually going to say. Uh, that it, it's almost like long before Marvel started making movies that, you know, were part of a bigger continuity and put out there like, you know, cinematic universe, the Wu-Tang Clan was doing that in hip hop. Yeah. Totally. Like they, there's mythology. Yeah. There's, you know, like there, there's, there's, there's a plan in place to like a bigger picture to be like, this is aside from, you know, in with Marvel, it started with like, let's start with Iron Man and a few individual movies and then we'll have the Avengers. Let's just started with the Avengers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the, the beauty of it though, was going into it. They were all solo acts, right? They were, they were all guys just running around rapping by themselves as solo acts. So, or, you know, as duos or whatever, like uh Jizza and Riza and ODB were all cousins. So like they had kind of perfected some techniques or some, some routines uh, to perform together and stuff. But Largely, it was a bunch of guys who didn't even know each other, and mm-hmm. they all knew RZA and knew that RZA was the the guy making beats. And uh, I mean, that album kicked off a run of albums by the RZA that I don't think has ever been matched production-wise in hip hop. Uh, I, I think that there's a very strong argument to be made that RZA is one of the greatest producers in hip hop of all time. Anyways, like prolific of, for sure, man. Yeah, man. But uh, so. I mean, Enter 36 Chambers, then he entirely produced everything on Method Man solo. He entirely produced everything on Only Built for Cuban Links for uh, Raekwon solo. He entirely produced everything on um, Iron Man for Ghostfaces solo. Like, each of these guys dropped solo albums in the next four or five years, and they were entirely produced by RZA, and all of them slam like 36 Chambers does. Like, uh, that dude was, you know... The Holy Ghost was speaking through him for those, those years, I think, or something what, like that. What came first, Method Man and Red Man or Wu Tang? Uh, Wu Tang. Yeah, Wu Tang. So Red Man would have been running around with uh, a group called like Def Squad. Um, yeah. Like Eric Sermon and uh, Keith Murray and, and those guys. Uh, yeah, does Red Man, Red Man doesn't count as a, a member of Wu Tang, does he? No, he, he doesn't. Not, 
Yeah, I think at this point, like he's kind of been called honorary or whatever. But I thought he, not, I not thought he was, but then I've got the Wikipedia open in front of me, and I don't see him on there. So, so yeah, so he's like he's like uh, he's somebody who showed up on uh, Agents of uh, Shield or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made totally. a movie with Method. And, you know, it was a pretty. <laughs> it, was it was okay. It was a crossover. Pretty good movie. They yeah, did yeah. extracurricular activities together. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they they turned their beds into bunk beds for, to make room more for for, for, well, for more activities. So yeah. I mean, like, actually, what you, what you're talking about there is one of the big things about Wu too is not just their music, uh, but their actual contract structure when they signed and and uh, got on Loud Records. Um, they negotiated to make it so that they would each have the ability to do solo work uh, mm-hmm. outside of Wu-Tang, right? Which was not a thing. Like they had to really push for that at that point uh, because like labels were signing groups and it's like, well, Tribe Called Quest has two guys and they're always Tribe Called Quest and they're not allowed to do anything that's not Tribe Called Quest, you know? Uh, and Oh, and just think about all the contract um, like negotiations that like, that just, uh, fucked over you know like other acts like this in the past like look look what happened to like nwa and these guys just start squabbling about money and exactly i want to go do a solo record it's like well some of that solo record is coming back to us because you're part of this crew and and i mean that that could have a big part of like why they've been able to stay as a as a faction that can still come back together well yeah they probably looked at all these examples of how these things tore everybody else apart and were like no man we're gonna make a contract that says that yeah you're your own person yeah. i think well, it's more healthy like i said they were solo acts right they they all wanted to do their solo thing sorry no <laughs> no it's okay i think i think it's more healthy that way when you force people to just do one thing it just builds resentment yeah totally um uh, yeah this is you know here's another thing too that uh i, I i'm gonna naomi here is kind of our resident boy band lover um <laughs> She's got her own podcast called Dope Nostalgia, uh, and she talks a lot about '90s groups, a lot of a lot of like uh, you know, boy and girl. I I I would posit that these guys, in their own way, are kind of they've got a bit of a boy band thing going. Well, now, I'm not saying they're a boy band, <laughs> <laughs> but even the, even in the skit, I don't know where is it. Which I well, the, is there the bad one and the cute young one or what's going on? Kind of is right. Okay. Now they're all hard, right? Which one's the heartthrob though? Like I I, I, the, I don't know. Oh, that's, yeah, that's method man for sure. <laughs> okay. See, right. see? that's go. why I was gonna I was gonna ask Naomi you like yeah. Marriage obliged. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but like they even go through yeah. like they even go through the list of like members you know uh, in one of the skits and I can't yeah. remember which uh, song that skits on but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there is. Where they they just that. list off like yeah this is who everybody and this is what they bring and i mean i love it because it helps build more of their mythology but part of me is like that is a little bit like knowing who likes pepperoni on their pizza and the new kids on the block odb (laughs) is donnie Wahlberg, man okay so i'll i'll make an argument here that differentiates them from uh from boy bands and it would just be that that every member of the woo writes their own lyrics right where true true that to me so these guys are genuine artists who aren't just acting the role of a guy in a boy band uh which i don't know if many of those guys in boy bands were writing those songs i mean 
Maybe no, Justin probably Timberlake not. ended it's up very complicated. Songs at you some do, point, but it's yeah. very complicated. We we don't need to <laughs> yeah. elaborate so, on that's that. A different but. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> but these are all gifted MCs who actually yes, they're very much. I mean, you know, you could argue that there is like. You know, one person's doing most of the production and stuff like that, you know. But sure. Yeah, Riz definitely spearheaded it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's his vision, and he put together his boy band. And... Well, and even as far as, like, I've heard he, you know, uh, MCs would record for songs, and they wouldn't know until, like, Riza came out and said, like, here's the song. Who was actually going to be on that song? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I heard again, that he used, to, he used to make them battle sometimes. For... I, I don't know about formally battle stand and diss each other i mean there, there's a song on method man's album called meth vs chef where they both like do battle bars against each other uh so definitely there'd be some friendly competition well maybe it's but... just more of that lore maybe more of that mythology but i heard I think it's like you said with master killer like where he sounds like he knows he needs to up his game it's when you start rapping in a room with other guys and you hear somebody else get up you're all sitting there writing and then one guy gets up and goes and raps his shit and the rest of you hear him say that shit and you're like oh damn i gotta make this doper you know like yeah you, sure, you want to get better than that guy uh so yeah yeah for sure for sure um i just heard the story was that I, the reason method man got the uh the he got the one solo like uh, track on this album, yeah, is, is through a rap battle, but that could be completely. It could be. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I mean, that's the beauty of it. There's so much uh, yeah. lore and legendary to it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, so uh, like that's the thing about once, like once you do kind of get into this, like especially a little later on, like you were saying, you did, and I know that. Uh, when my friends and me were were discovering this, all of a sudden there was there was like a there was a whole universe to get into, man. Yeah, you could start looking for those records. You could you could start looking for all the solo albums. You could look for every time they guessed it on you know somebody's track or whatever. Like definitely, there was and definitely I mean, like some of those solo albums were like classics, right? Like yeah, uh, and yeah, they ended up being classics for sure. Yeah, uh, so some of those the artists like this the 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 solo artists from the Wu-Tang can have discographies that'll go against solo artists. Like I'd mm -hmm. put Ghostface's solo discography up against, I don't know, Jay-Z in a, in a song to song. And I, mm -hmm. it depends who's judging it, but like, you know, Jay has bigger top 40 hits, but uh, I, I think that like critically you, you could do that. And uh, a lot of the guys catalogs could stand on their own um, a lot of them did a lot of collaborations with like other r&b artists and such too right like me and mariah go back like babies and pacifiers, pacifiers. yeah yeah for sure the, uh the funniest the funniest story to me uh is the one about how uh, uh odb ended up on praza's ghetto superstars <laughs> I've heard several different things, one of which actually I saw last week in a video where Wyclef was saying that he set that up and the comment section was full of people being like, he's full of shit. He's looking for. Well, uh, I could see I maybe know, he credit. pulled, he might've mastered like, you know, like puppet mastered that behind the scenes just to like, I don't know, fuck what's, with what's pros or something. You heard? Well, the story I heard, cause that could still work with this story is the story is pros was just in the studio like you know working on ghetto superstar and 
ODB old dirty bastard just like just busted into the studio while they're like in the middle of like editing the song and and figuring out you know where they were going to put the verses and stuff like that and started insisting that they were using his studio on his time and they're like man this is not this is not your studio time and he wouldn't go away and they're like well we got him here if he's insistent it's like all right man go in there go in the booth spit some bars see what happens and they were like and they thought they were just going to placate him and that he'd be happy. It was like, you know, how do you deal with this fire. personality? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then it was, yeah, then it ended up being fire and it's what made that song like. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, I, I heard basically that same story that uh, other guys in Wu were recording like in a separate studio in the same building and uh, that he walked in accidentally into like he was just lost but kind of yeah, took he, over yeah. yeah but he was but he just insisted that's the story I, I'd heard I've just from, lost you guys yeah. but he didn't say it like that he was like he's like what are you doing in my studio <laughs> man this is my time like you know yeah yeah I, I you know I believe it <laughs> I believe it too he was he was a, a character I mean yeah oh, any he, of the footage of him is amazing hearing, I, I've seen Wu-Tang live in concert and he sat down on a speaker and uh he, I, I've seen like a documentary about the the tour after that, and uh, he was not happy to be on that tour. And you could tell in the show I was watching, like he sat on that speaker and like he sang his parts. But uh, I think ODB was a real, real unique guy. <laughs> Probably oh, very real unique guy, with. man. <laughs> yeah, no, I he. <laughs> Uh, like and the fact that like he must have been just impossible to deal with like just impossible right but yeah man Riz's like gotta get him gotta get him in on this like there's something about him that's you know he he uh he died in the booth at 36 chambers like at the they named their studio 36 chambers and he had a heart attack and died in the booth (laughs) doing what he loved yeah <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah, probably arguing and telling them that he didn't want to be there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but then maybe. when they, <laughs> but but when he finally was like, "Fine, I'll do it," <laughs> and then just the stuff that came out of him, it was just so like. I mean, he like, says like, "There's no father to his style, man," and there really isn't. There isn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it it's wild. something else. It's something else altogether. Um, yeah. So. I was going to ask, you know, like you said, you were listening to more of the produced, the Wesley. I don't know if you're, maybe you were listening to Nelly or something in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, just like, I, I'd consider like chronic 2001 to be like the best produced hip hop album of all time. Right. Like it, it's that, that album just, I don't know how many people he had on the team working on that, but there's, mm it just sounds perfect all the way through. Right. Uh, yeah. But maybe a little too perfect. And then, yeah, and then, yeah. and then, it's a good hook. Yeah. And then, in, but. and then cream comes over your, uh, your little wire account and you're checking that out. And all of a sudden that turns I, your head. Exactly. So like, so like it, 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 did it totally change the way you thought about music or hip hop or. Definitely. And to this day, like, uh, the, the influence that Wu Tang has had, uh, I mean, goes to things like, like there's a ghost face quote that I've got on, on, uh, well, I don't actually have it up right now, but I have a picture of it on, on my wall that it used to be at my old place. And, uh, it says like, uh, I refuse, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of like, I refuse to explain my lyrics to anybody. Uh, if you see somebody who's drawn a painting and you don't know what you're looking at, it doesn't matter. Cause the guy that drew the painting knows what he drew and, 
that quote from Ghostface, like you listen to some of the stuff he raps on some of his solo albums and it's so like free association uh, thought flow. Um, mm-hmm. the, like Ghostface to me is one of my favorite MCs of all time for sure. Uh, and the beauty of the woo though is that like he's not the only one like through the the 30 years i've been listening to these guys like well that's an exaggeration 20 years that i've been listening to these guys like i've uh cycled through which one's my favorite right you have that like oh method man's the best mc ever moment sometimes and Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and then so then you listen to liquid swords and you're like holy shit jizza is the best mc who's ever lived i mean these guys all have classic work that really has blown my mind at different times in my life. So definitely it's something that's, uh, that's influenced me. Uh, another uh, quote that I can think of that's influenced the way I write is, is Jizza saying songs should be half short and twice strong. Uh, not even songs, but lyrics in general should be half short, twice strong. So uh, instead of using a bunch of filler words, try to pack as, as, much content and as much uh intricate rhymes into as small of a space as you can right uh instead of getting up there and rambling on rhyming once at the end every line or whatever and and not really saying anything of any context either like of any content uh so yeah you know definitely these guys have influenced the way the way that i try to write lyrics uh Mm -hmm. i mean obviously i can't like i don't write about the same content that they do because we've lived drastically different lives but um as far as their intention to layer meaning into lyrics i think that's that's a big thing that i took from it to do to do something that you might not catch on the first two listens uh and and then when you hear it even the fifth time through you might be like what in the fuck is he talking about and then down the line you learn some of this like religious connotation to it and you're like oh this whole time they were talking about that like <laughs> boom you know so uh um that aspect is, is influence yeah sure. cool i was uh I was, I was just thinking like when i was starting to hear this stuff i noticed that it was like my my, my friends who were kind of more typical you know uh like like you were talking about like guys listening to like you know, rock, hard rock, whatever, the stuff that was cool at the time. Even, like, my friends who were like, you know, Papa Roach's new single is fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they would, but like... Limp Biscuit. They would... <laughs> yeah, even Limp like, the rap rock and, and I Hate My Dad rock and new metal. Yeah. The day, like, we just did an episode uh, about um, White Pony, um, uh, Deftones, right? And the same guys who had that CD in their CD wallet also had liquid swords you know like they might not have a lot of other hip-hop maybe maybe eminem you know that's a an angry white guy they can relate to but like but they didn't have you know they didn't have like any too many other deep cuts or anything like that you know uh i i so i'm like obviously there's something about wu-tang that like can appeal to 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 guys who are used to like you know heavy guitar rock and that sort of thing yeah i'm wondering do you is it the other way around at all does it transcend the other way is there like somebody just a big old hip-hop head and then they put on wu-tang and they hear some of that production and they're like man maybe this like does open me up to i don't know maybe not just distorted guitars but like the samples on this thing you know come from like some pretty unique sources like a lot of like 60s soul records and stuff you know the funk and 
and stuff like that. But you, you would hear you would hear just the most random little like you know piano parts and things like that. Like not just this album, all the other albums, but on this one for sure. So and to me, that's one of the big reasons I've always loved hip hop and uh, fell into hip hop was because it really is this amalgamation of all of the other genres, right? It takes bits and pieces from everything and and mashes it into one. Um, so I, I think like. You know, I mean, I, I grew up uh, and my parents would always be playing like uh, golden hits of the 70s and 80s or whatever, like super hits of the 60s and stuff. So like I tell? knew all these old like funk records and stuff. So I think when I'd start hearing them being sampled, uh, some of them were familiar to me in that way. Um, you know, you'd hear horn stabs from a James, Br- James Brown song and mm-hmm. and instantly recognize that. So um yeah, you know, I have a lot of respect for other genres and, and like, you know, I've I've uh, worked with guys in bands and one of my favorite things is like if if a band is just going to jam, like I'll just come to the jam and, and freestyle over shit just if they don't care, right? If they're just trying to play riffs or whatever. Uh, and I love working with live bands in, in that uh, format. So, um, I mean, I, I think... As far as woo opening the door to it, it's tough for me to say because I was always around more rock than hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. we'd have to ask somebody who like really came from a hip hop background where like that was what they were listening to all the time and then journeyed into it. Because, um, yeah, for me, I was mm-hmm. yeah always around rock. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, but uh, I, I just have a, I have a sinking suspicion that they're transcendent enough that maybe I, they I open think. some doors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, like, I mean, I think if there's anything unfortunate about Wu-Tang's legacy, if I had to say this, is that they've kind of become that like um, that, that like that. Oh, how do I how do I put it? It's like there's a T-shirt. You know yeah. that gets bought at Hot Topic now that the the the, the person buying has never even listened to a Wu Tang. Yeah, track. totally. And they're yeah. like, they wear it with like pride, like you know, because it's just automatic cool points to throw some Wu Tang on, you know. Totally. And <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of like white white kids from the suburbs. Which and... is which is why I was like, do I even actually come on here and talk about this album? Because I uh, I agree. I mean, yeah, no, hey man, no, fair enough, right? Like, but. Uh, I think it's it's legitimately a good album front to back. It's a classic. It set a lot of even tropes. Like you wouldn't even think that now, thirty theories removed. But man, I, I today I intentionally went and put myself. I'm like, where was I in 1993? What was I doing? If I if I had listened to this record originally in 1993, which I won't pretend yeah. I did. I like, I don't know. I was definitely down with Death Row and stuff at the time. But like, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, also that that's the stuff that was hitting, west. Uh, yeah, but that's also yeah. the stuff that was hitting the top ten at the t- or top top forty at the time, right? You know. Yeah. And a couple of years later, when the East Coast, which all, totally got elevated all by this, you know, and then you there know, were a I couple key albums in '93, right? Like, uh, yeah. in in '92, like MC Hammer was the biggest hit, and like Vanilla Ice were were, were big hits. So, oh, like, I never want to talk about Vanilla Ice again right? after watching his movie the other night. <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen that, but I don't cool. know if I want oh, to. Oh, you don't don't waste your time. Mm. <laughs> cool as ice. I can't believe it took you this long to see Cool as Ice. No, it was bad. <laughs> it was like lined up at the theater. No, I wasn't, but I definitely rented it. <laughs> it was definitely appropriate for the theme of worst movie, like bad movie nights. Bad movie nights. But yeah, think about that though. 
That's your that's your big star in I guess in hip hop. It's hard we were right. to say that. Yeah. You know, maybe MC Hammer, but those are the guys who are like like that. That's when your first concert. Blow, when your mom or dad at the time thought <laughs> rap music. That's that's what that's what they thought. The they, guy in parachute pants. Yeah. 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 Vanilla Ice. And it's and, only, and then this came in and they were two, yeah, fucking ruckus. You know, like. yeah, two years later. <laughs> yeah. This 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 album needed to happen, right? G Funk and gangster rap needed to happen. Yeah, right. totally. And so Snoop's first album came out uh, the same year. I guess The Chronic, like you said, came out in 92, but Snoop yeah, put out Doggy Style in 93. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, Nas's album came out in uh, 93, Illmatic. So like, there was hip-hop really changed a lot. In yeah, those couple of years, probably, yeah, like that was really, that was really important, I think. And then, you know, then you had your stars in the 90s. That's when you had your Tupacs and Biggie's Bust Out, you know, um, you know, you had you had your Dirty South come up to prominence too. You had some Nelly records totally. in there, you know. But yeah. hey, it's all got its place, right? Well, and, and the the beauty of that was like, you know, the the next group Woo album, they went and did solo albums for five years, and then they came back, uh, you know, for the end of RZA's five year plan, which was Wu Tang Forever, and they dropped the double mm-hmm. disc album uh, with a lead single that had no hook on it and nine MCs rhyming for six and a half minutes, and it was number one on, on like hip hop radio in 1997. Uh, when, you know, like the competition was like Diddy and Mace dancing around in shiny suits. Like, uh, totally. Yeah. Right? Fish islands. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Missy Elliott in uh, inflated suit or whatever. Oh, <laughs> like, she ruled though. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't hate Missy. I, I love don't hate Diddy or Mace either, but, but uh, yeah, but I know what you mean. The image, right. So when you think different. of the image, when you think of the image of Wu Tang too, it's so weird, man. You look at the the album covers even, and they their faces are covered. They're not even like yeah. You, get to, you you can only get to really like maybe later on once they they had their solo records or whatever. If you pick this album up, all you're gonna know about them is what they want you to know about them. <laughs> yeah, totally. You, you, I mean, you, on that have, album, Ghostface is literally wearing a mask because he was wanted. He, yeah. he Ghost was wanted for robbery, and so he's wearing a mask on the cover of that and. That's why he's. And they all are, man. Even in the, I think, (laughs) I I don't remember which video it is, but one of the videos, I think the album cover cover comes from a video shoot, right? It's one of the videos where they're all wearing the white masks and. Yeah, I think it was for uh, chess boxing. Yeah, yeah, I think that was technically the first single, which is a good track. Well, I'm surprised it was the single, but whatever, man. I I mean, I guess back then, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it worked. It did. It did. um, I guess. Yeah. um, Oh man. I, I, yeah. What I was saying before about um, about about the legacy or whatever is, I don't really think that really hurts them. It's just frustrating to be a fan, you know, yeah. and have have it get so popular. It's like yeah. you know, I, I read comics before the Marvel movies, and and now like everybody yeah. is you yeah know. yeah yeah totally <laughs> you know i like to try and think about it this way though I'm all like, those comic readers they i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but no all go those go comic go readers they don't like any of the movies ever i mean i enjoy them once they're, they're, fun. The they're, they're fun it depends it depends it depends okay it's, they're hit or miss <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they can be all right sure. um i think marvel's probably done the best job they can you know with the with the mcu for the most part um, but I, I was going to say, it's like, you know, but it's, it's, it's just, it is frustrating the Wu-Tang Clan and, you know, it's the same as like you seeing like, you know, a model in an Iron Maiden t-shirt, 
from yeah. like metal fans, right? Yeah, or like you Metallica know. or something, right? Like yeah, exactly. You know, like genre defining. Yeah, yeah. But I like to think of it this way too: is that you never know. Maybe that person at some point will be like, you know, I've got the T-shirt. Maybe I should check out the group. Yeah, <laughs> you know? hopefully. Maybe I should grab an album. <laughs> you know, maybe that's what brings them. You know, to the party. So I. I, I I don't want to be a gatekeeper either, basically, and be like, you're not allowed to wear that T-shirt, you know? Fair enough, yeah. Well, and I mean, on the other hand, too, it's like, um, you know, I remember seeing Ice Cube say, like, why did he make, uh, like, Daddy or Riveriet or whatever, the the kids' movies he was making for a while or whatever. And he said, like, Eh. I made $20 million to make that movie. And uh, I get to now make whatever music I want to make, and I own my own independent label as a result of it. And, you know, so to me, like, there are some levels where it's like, if Walmart wants to give you that much money to have the Wu-Tang shirts in the Walmart, as long as you're not going to compromise your art and keep making good art, like... You compromise your street cred, not your art. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Sure. I guess that's true. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I got to say, another legacy of Wu-Tang Clan that I actually gravitated towards quite a bit and I'm surprised we haven't talked about it that much is obviously Riz's love but everybody else got on board with this for old kung fu movies yeah like they got all their names from kung fu movies totally they sample kung fu movie soundtracks they use clips from kung fu movies and then I remember in the early 2000s Walmart put out a line of kung fu movies (laughs) like there'd be two on a disc and uh it, they were like they were like the Wu Tang Clans branded you know. with Wu. Yeah, yeah. They they would actually have uh, like they would have like uh, Method Man or or Riz or somebody, you know, kind of just do a little like a, a little interstitial at the beginning, be like, this is, you know, this is the uh, this is the flying guillotine, you know, like yeah. man, this this movie's <laughs> legit for these reasons, and you'd be like, I bought some of those, man, because I. I love that stuff. I was into it too. Within the past year, I've uh, paid for a virtual ticket to watch uh, a movie that was one of those like, you know, classic Kung Fu movies. I I forget which one, Uh, but it was, you know, with a commentary from RZA, he was sitting watching the movie and it was like pay 18 bucks and you couldn't sit and hear RZA's commentary for this. And I was like, fuck yeah, why not? So yeah. uh, yeah, because like, oh, I, you know, that was one of the nerdier things I was into. Still kind of into it, you know, I, just not as much as I was back then. But like trying to find these movies and watch them and, you know, like it wasn't because of them that I liked this stuff. But it was but it, it would definitely was part of the culture that I was like, oh, man, it's so cool that I can go to Walmart and yeah. find movies that, you know, at the time were probably even harder to track down than they are now. You know, because these guys like curated, you know, a dozen kung fu movies or whatever that were relevant to them, you know, and they were remastered and put on these DVDs. And well, and was, even a lot of the the principles they're drawn from those kung fu movies are about like discipline and about like building yourself and being the best. And like, you know, it takes all these concepts and uh, brings them over to hip hop really well, right? Like you can, they always talk about like you know the the. Wu Tang is the the noise that the sword makes as it slashes through the air, and it's a metaphor for their music or whatever. Like, yeah, I think I think it was maybe it was RZA that that specifically said that he's like it's a metaphor for my tongue, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly that. Uh, so, 
you know, it's, it's a way that they kind of brought it over and bridged that gap or whatever. But I think that, like you said, that was totally Riza. Uh, and I've heard some of the other guys talk about how, like, they thought it was just weirdo shit uh, when mm-hmm. it was, you know, first when they first experienced it or whatever. But yeah, man, but when you got a guy who's just driven and got a plan and <laughs> well, and if people start reacting well to it, I mean, keep it up, I guess. But yeah. Fucking right. Yeah. It's a deep well to go to too. There's <laughs> no, no short supply of those. Right on. Um, yeah. I mean, man, you know, uh, oh, oh, we uh, lost, uh, lost your sorry. picture there coming right back all good there you are um yeah like i don't know what else to say about this this record man like uh uh i i was happy to re-listen to it it was i knew it was good but i almost forgot how good it was so i had fun i probably listened to it at least three times in the last two days you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I was I saying earlier and I, I forgot I got off track, but I was saying that today I wanted to put my my mind in. I'm like, okay, what if I did hear this for the first time in 1993? Mm-hmm. What would I have been doing? I put I I I uh, I got some Sonic the Hedgehog going, <laughs> <laughs> Sonic Two technically, uh, Sonic and Tails, and I was I just put this on and was playing Sonic the Hedgehog, and I was like, man, <laughs> this is me and my me and my best friend back then. Like you know, this is what we would do is like listen to you know tape cds or whatever and just play like sega genesis and yeah um, man you know we listen to some cool records we listen to some lame records but i mean uh, hand in hand with my memory of downloading cream sorry to cut you off but they go so well is uh sitting playing like tony hawk or whatever pro skater (laughs) on on like ps1 or the the first playstation like yeah so uh definitely And, and beyond that like i think Wu-Tang has been embraced like really by skater culture and, and like you said, by the punk scene. So you mm-hmm. do see them everywhere. Uh, yeah. Well, I was just thinking today, I'm like, man, if, if, if we had put this on, I don't think we ever would have put on like snow, you know? <laughs> yeah. How could you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that would have never happened. We would have been yeah. like, no, throw that one on. That one's cool. It's on the radio right now. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. No, it, it just, it almost seems like a completely different genre than most like hip hop that, you know, is made for radio play or whatever, which is amazing that they've had the success that yeah, they've had. Yeah, making. I don't know, like, you know, if there was anything out that was kind of, I don't know, maybe in the vein of the time, there was like what, like, like Cypress Hill. That's yeah. the, what I was listening to. Was yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, they, they had a, a different thing altogether too. Right. But I mean, and there were other East coast groups, uh, like like I said, Nas's album came out uh, that year and was amazing and has like similar boom bap sparse sounds. They're a little bit more filled out and less rugged than the than the Wu Tang stuff was or whatever. But it's it's yeah. closer to it than the West Coast music was mostly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then like we were talking a little bit about the image before. Like yeah, the West Coast image was definitely like it became about you know, just bigger, more boombastic, like the videos were bigger and shinier, you know? And yeah, oh, these guys yeah. just... California love. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. These guys, the, the image just, you know, it was it, it, it was just not that. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> was... And I think that that was kind of what attracted me to it because um, it didn't feel quite as fake or, I don't know, put on or whatever. Like, uh, you know, my own aesthetic has always been much closer to hoodie and boots than it has to uh you know jewelry and shiny clothes i almost think it's like that in any genre with east coast versus west coast because west coast is a little more uh polished 
uh, plastic, uh, you know, where East Coast is like salt of the earth people who are like, you know, working middle class uh, type thing. I think it's like. I didn't know that from other genres. That's interesting. Don't you think? <laughs> you, that happens. Yeah, for sure. Like, look at, uh, we were talking about punk rock earlier. Look at West Coast punk rock versus East Coast punk rock. East Coast punk rock is more like, you know, uh, it's less poppy. It's more disparate. It's more like you get your hardcore scene from the East Coast first before you get anything in, in California. You know, it's like... It's that lower east side sound of like hard scrabble living. And then by the time it makes it over to the west coast, it's like, yeah, it's not that people don't have problems on the west coast, but you can also sleep on the beach, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So that's where you get like a more upbeat, poppier sound most of the time. Like, you know, you get sublime or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sublime's on the West Coast. They're not on the East Coast. You know? Yeah. You've got yeah. like you've got Bad Brains and, and Black Flag and bands like that coming out of like DC and New York. And then yeah, you've got Sublime and No Effects coming out of the out of out of California, right? Yeah, yeah I feel like totally. the music from the East Coast has a little more about about the struggle to it than oh, yeah. the it's cold, man. I think that's the yeah. difference, right? It, get, it gets cold there. <laughs> People get pissed off. Yeah. You can't spend as much time drinking on a beach. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like if you get like you get kicked out of your place in California, fuck it, go to the get a get a forty, go to a, a backyard barbecue and just kick it with your homies. <laughs> New York, you're just huddled up in a fucking alley somewhere, not like, to freeze to death, uh, yeah, kicking to rats off of your shoes, like, <laughs> you know, it's different. Hell yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, man, I, like we go around usually, and I'll, I'll still do it, but I have a feeling we're all going to be on the same page here, and I, I, I don't know. I let everybody, you know, put in their two cents, and then uh, tell me if they thought the album held up or not. Uh, upon this listen so i mean i'll start i'll start with charlie because uh, you've been yeah. fairly quiet on this one charlie you know i i never really got too into wu-tang before for sure i mean i i i've heard the album before and i like i like it right mm-hmm. um but this was a great chance to go back and listen to it and uh yeah i would say it definitely holds up and it's, it's great i love this stripped down production and you know i definitely will be throwing this on again and, and just uh you know chilling out and listening to it for sure <laughs> nice. yeah man i think this this i know you're a cypress hill fan i feel like if you like cypress hill then i you can easily get into oh for sure and i think it's funny Ooh. because I, I i feel like because we just did white pony not too long ago and i feel like there's a chill vibe the same kind of chill vibe sort of on both of these albums in a lot of the same ways where i could just sit on the couch and like smoke a joint and just like chill out <laughs> Yeah, man. That's man, yeah. If uh, if you like Cypress Hill, if you're a big fan of Cypress Hill and mm-hmm. uh, want to check out some work that um, the Woo kind of did that merges with them, actually, there's an album that came out. I don't know. I want to say oh five, oh six, oh seven, something like that, called uh, Grandmasters. That was by Jizza and uh, DJ Muggs. Okay. And DJ Muggs is from Cypress Hill. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he he entirely produced the beats for it all or whatever, and uh, yeah, yeah it's worth, worth a listen. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, uh, Naomi, uh, did you manage to uh, to get a listen through? Yeah, I listened to some of it, and I think it's dope. I think it's better than uh, for me. I enjoyed it better than listening to something like Deftones. I just like the music; it just feels good, you know. Yeah, I was kind of wondering what you would think about it uh, because 
I was like, you know, I know that for the most part you like melody and harmonies and stuff like that. And obviously yeah. with the hip hop, especially this. But yeah. I was like, there's some production in here that's not just the samples from the like soul records, which are good. Yeah. You know, I like the, but I was wondering, did you notice there's things like key changes <laughs> that you like almost never hear in hip hop? I love key changes. <laughs> Modulation. Yeah. Modulation. Yeah. So I thought maybe I was like, you know what? I have a feeling that if there's anything that's going to get Naomi on this one, it might actually be some of that production. Yeah. A lot of people who are classically trained seem to hate Riz's production completely. Uh, I've I've just heard a lot of people say that like he uses all sorts of flat notes that shouldn't be flat. Or, like I I'm not musically trained myself, uh, but I, especially with this album, I've heard that the production on this album, from a critical standpoint, can also be like considered terrible uh you know it's and it shouldn't work like even when they were shopping the album around that it was um something that the labels were not very receptive to because the sound was so different and not polished like rizzo was just self-trained and doing what he thought sounded good yeah but that's the thing is historically when something shouldn't work but it does that's what we call genius hell yeah (laughs) right so (laughs) <laughs> like, out of the mold out of that mold. yeah yeah exactly break those boxes and and uh, and and that, that's you know maybe he's not like i don't know if he's got any uh musical training or not or if he has any knowledge probably of, by uh, now i think <laughs> maybe he knows more maybe you know, just because of production but uh yeah maybe if he doesn't even, like no music theory doesn't mean he doesn't have ears he's got taste totally right so I, just because it doesn't follow the rules, like that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. Sometimes the people who don't follow the rules, man, are you know those are the people that stand out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, like I, I've already said, like you know, I think I would call this a hit play record, which means you can just put the needle down, track one, you know, and just let it play front to back. There's there's nothing on here that I'm like, ah, eh, skip it. <laughs> yeah. Not one man. I I'm like, yeah, I could just I don't know, it's 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 weird to just sing the praises of a record so <laughs> and I'm just blown away that it was it's it's the debut album. You know, like what a good how wan, here you go, boom, here's our first out record. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, by the way, it's flawless. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, practically, man. And even if it does <laughs> yeah. have flaws, the flaws make it more interesting, you know? Yeah, like, yeah totally. Yeah. So I'm guessing that'll probably be something like your answer too, you know, listen. I don't know if you gave it another listen. I uh, did, yeah. And yeah. It, the thing that I realized from it was as much as I know all the lyrics and I'm rapping along with one guy and I'm enjoying Method Man's verse, when the next guy comes in, I still get hype and go, oh, Inspect the Deck's about to kill this, you know, uh MC to MC, they're so unique and diverse uh, with their styles, which is weird because most groups end up sounding a little bit alike, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you could say these guys sound alike because they rap over the same types of beats, but uh, their voices are, are instantly recognizable once uh, you've got used to who these guys are or whatever. And um, yeah, th- to me, that's the fun of it is that there's eight, MCs or nine MCs or whatever, uh, eight mostly on this first album because uh, Capo was locked up. But um, 
you know, when they, they switch between each other, that's when, when I just think like, this is why I love this group because it's such stellar, uh, level of writing across the board from all all the members of it um and yeah lyrics are my my favorite part of hip-hop so cool that's, that's what yeah. wins it for me. well it's yeah it's that's what hip-hop really is man it's lyrics and beats right like yeah 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 um yeah i guess you know thanks for bringing this uh album on it was fun to talk about it uh before we call it a day i was just wondering if uh if everybody had a favorite member of <laughs> the wu-tang clan <laughs> I think you said yours was maybe Ghostface Killer, but uh... yeah, yeah, I'll stick with Ghost for for today. My my favorite will be Ghost, but uh, any given day it could be Ghost, uh, RZA. I have huge amounts of respect for. Like if I could work with one person on Earth, it'd probably be RZA. Uh, yeah, right on. But yeah, uh, um, Naomi, uh, you know who? Are you who asking in... me who's the dreamiest? Well, not well. <laughs> that's how you want to answer it. I was just gonna say like in in your boy band like fangirling. You know, if you had to pick one whose poster you put up on the wall. Of course it's Method Men. Come on. Yeah. That's yeah. the guy. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, do you have a favorite member of the Wu? I'll say ODB. Yeah? Yeah. I, you know, I might have to say that too, just because uh, it's just, it. he's just a fun person to like. Yeah. <laughs> was yeah. R.I.P. You don't know what you're going to get. Eccentric. When his verses come come in, man, it's like you, you get like a little kind of excited. Yeah. yeah, like and you know people think he's just a clown or whatever, but like dude actually has some bars. Like you know the the like here we go, ill type flow, Jack Cousteau could never get this low or whatever. Like he's he's actually like saying shit that like you know if you don't know who Jack Cousteau is or whatever, you're not gonna get that bar. But like you know, dude actually has has actually a lot of talent. Uh, oh, for sure. To write him off, right? For sure, man. And he's he's like yeah, exactly. Like like I was thinking earlier uh, about maybe I'm like ah, if I had to compare like you know hip hop groups, I'm like you know, but it's just it was so hard to do. I was like, would you call it like ODB like the Easy E of uh, of you know like like is he did to to wu-tang like easy was to like nwa or whatever and i'd be like nah nah i think easy well, was flavor more... flav to public enemy yeah but he, he was yeah, all hype that's a, and that's a better that's, maybe that's it's better, better maybe comparison, it's better but but still not quite as he's, no, he's different yeah. though than flav because flav Cause never I... actually really rapped right yeah he's yeah he's more of a he hype man more hype yeah. and you know he got a few he got a few verses and a couple and it's all just like nonsense yeah <laughs> right yeah totally you know and and you know easy e as cool as easy was love easy e but like you know like his flow is like real stiff and 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 it was predictable yeah and odb man like even if you get to know those verses you're 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 still surprised by them every time Oh, and that's yeah. what I would like. That's why I would think I might pick him just because I'm like, it doesn't matter how many times I hear these songs. Like, I'm still not expecting, like, you know, how, like, he's going to come at this. Like, I've heard it. I've heard it, you know, I don't know, a hundred times or more, but I'm still surprised. Like, every time I'm like. Also, again, ODB wrote his stuff and uh, anything coming out of EZ's mouth was either ice cube or mc yellow <laughs> right next right so. good point good yeah. point yeah i don't know did uh flavor flavor right lamp and i'm lamp and i'm cold cold lamp and probably and then <laughs> like you know 911 is a joke flavor did have some some songs he'd rap yeah, on, you know what man he he like uh i still remember that there's a there's a there's a line in lampin about 
uh, breaking off, breaking off pieces of tombstones and picking his teeth with them. <laughs> like, that's some creative imagery. There's Dude, I, I put gravy on it. <laughs> I always loved uh, Chuck D and like you know the the message of of Public Enemy, but I never really understood it until I saw them live. Uh, and I saw them live the same day that I saw Wu Tang. It was at like Rock the Bells Festival in uh, California. So like a great big outside show and seeing Flav and Chuck on stage, I was like, oh, that's what that guy's for. They because seem his, so opposite. His energy on stage, though, like Flava's energy on stage was like just a magnet. Like you couldn't not be happy from 500 people back with your hands in the air watching the guy dance around on stage. It was, I don't know. I, I was amazed by how good of a hype man, good of a hype man he was. Best mm -hmm. hype man who's ever been, I think. <laughs> right on Very cool. yeah, okay man. man well thank you so much for joining us today i'm going to give you one of these again you probably haven't heard this in a while hey it was my pleasure thanks for having me um uh dubious or uh brent andrew aka uh tell everybody uh where they can find your music or uh hear you you know give sure. us any so, plugs you got. Uh, music you can find it uh over on spotify just punch in d-o-o-b-y-i-s uh that's easy to find there i've got a couple projects that i put out over the past year uh some singles and stuff um my radio show is called after the smoke is clear uh like i said mondays at nine thursdays at 11 uh, mountain time on ckxu.com i play unedited hip-hop um any artist listening send me your stuff i'll play that and uh I'm just about to launch a podcast also that's going to be called um, Fly In Formation. Um, and what I'm going to be doing on that podcast is reaching out to uh, DJs of all the hip hop shows across Canada and talking with them a uh, podcast format like this just to hear a little bit about the, the scene in each different city. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. I already have done a couple and have a bunch lined up so um that's not online yet but uh will be soon and yeah follow me on twitter i guess that's the most active social media that i've got just at, at dubious right on man thank you at dubious all right thank you very much um i guess i should go around and plug our uh stuff what we got going on charlie what do you got going on Oh, you want to get some uh, some learning to listen merch? Go to oldmandesign.com. I got a bunch of shirts and mugs up there. You can, if that's not just your thing, you want some you want some merch with plague doctors on it. I got plague doctor shirts. If you go over there, what else? <laughs> you know what? I could sell you a whole bunch of stuff. Why don't you just go check it out? It's gonna be good for you, and you're gonna get some new shirts, and you're gonna feel good about yourself. Do it. Oldmandesign.com. Right on, Naomi. Oh, sorry, sorry. Naomi, what I got, you got Dope going Nostalgia on? The podcast coming out uh, this week is going to be my interview with Green Jelly. So, Ooh, I've heard good things about that podcast, that Naomi. By the way, uh, we know some of the same people in Edmonton, and they they told me that they love your podcast. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm going to get you to be on the podcast. Uh, sure, love to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, Thank what do you, you get? It's it's all '90s stuff. What are you going to talk about? Know. There's plenty know. we could talk about. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, okay. Uh, we got stuff going on, too. Uh, we've got a number you can call. Uh, so hit us up, 780-851-8785. I believe oh, wait, that's I the correct number. 
I wrote it down kind of funny now that I'm looking at it. But uh, yeah, that's a hotline. You can call and leave a message. I don't know. Just uh, tell us whatever you're thinking about. Tell us what you think about the episodes, the guests. Uh, what do you think? 36 Chambers? Is it like, you know, this amazing album we make it out to be? Or are we all out to lunch and it's junk and we should know about it? Tell us by calling that number. That number again is 780-851-8785. Uh, of course, uh, you know, we're on the social media at uh, L2L pod. You can find us on Instagram, uh, Twitter. Of course, there's also Facebook, uh, you know, but Twitter and Instagram are superior. Uh, YouTube, we're dipping our toe in there. I'm slowly but surely getting videos up. I've been experimenting with that. But uh, if you do go to YouTube, we don't have enough subscribers to have one of those fancy URLs. So you're going to have to do some digging. But uh, if you do find us on there, make sure you like and subscribe. That'll uh, help it uh, make it easier for you to find us again. Use the number and, two uh, when you're typing in learning to listen. That was something I learned uh, yesterday. Oh, okay. No- I'll keep that in mind. Two. L2, mm-hmm. numeral two, not Roman numeral Arabic uh, numbers. <laughs> Thanks again uh, to uh, our friend uh, Brent Andrew, aka Dubious. I'm gonna hey. do that for you one more time. Thank you, my pleasure. Yeah. Um. And oh yeah, Patreon.com. Don't forget the uh, Patreon.com. Very important. <laughs> Uh, patreon.com slash learn to listen I skipped that plug but you hear that one a lot so uh, if you haven't figured that out by now well then I don't know what to do with you <laughs> um, like I said thanks so much uh, for joining us today that uh, that was fun that was a fun listen it was a fun talk uh, the way we like to wrap this all up is by literally getting you to uh, give us your best wrap it up like say those three words however you want and that'll end the show so all up to you um Okay, let's go uh, wrap it up quick. I got to get back to Atsik. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Yay. Boom. The music was fun, and then it got really dark for a while, a little bit anti-establishment. But the next thing you knew, it was totally fun again. So many artists came and went, and left us wondering, what are they doing now? This podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions. It's about everyone else, the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade, and kind of just still live in our memory. So you mean Vanilla Ice had another song? We all know what happened to Marky Mark. But what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF? And why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and New Jack Swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Special guests will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, 
thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out. I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting the move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, or you can find us on Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com.